Hello and welcome to Death of a Thousand Cuts, making you an awesome writer one cut at a time. My name's Tim Clare and this is a show about writing for writers, for readers and for anyone with a morbid fascination with how the story sausage is made. On this show we have three central planks to our writing manifesto. Plank the first to help you write more, plank the second to help you write better and plank the third to help you be a little bit happier as you do those things. To that end I sometimes chat to other authors and I say, hey, how do we do this writing thing? Why do we do this writing thing? Who are we? Why... Why are my hands so big? Sometimes I get uh, listeners to send in their first pages and I give suggestions on how they can make them better. And sometimes I just talk to you and say, hey, how are you doing? How's your writing going? Uh, you can't answer that because it's not a dialogue. It's a monologue or it is a dialogue in the sense that um, listeners write to me. So it's also like a very slow. It's like playing correspondence chess, but with words. Hi. How are you doing? Today is a writing ramble. It's just going to be an episode uncut, uncensored. If you like, you can imagine me uh, in some kind of straight jacket with chains and padlocks around it and uh, some kind of gag over my mouth put there by, by the man, by the normies in the establishment. And then it's going to be torn off and then there'll be an explosion and some guitar music because I'm, I'm going to say what I think uncensored, uncut, Tim Clare, unleashed, unchained, talking about creative writing and the creative industries. That's um, me doing some, some, some metal, which is the, uh, the sound of rebellion, supposedly. Um, hi, I've come back from... I went to the UK Games Expo this weekend gun, which normally wouldn't be uh, intrinsically related to the content of this podcast, except that the book I'm working on, the non-fiction book I'm working on, is about games, games that we play in real life uh, with other people, and as opposed to, I guess, video games, which sometimes don't involve another player, or the other player is somehow remote. And um, So I, I'm, I'm going out and I'm researching this book, uh, I think, I hope, I mean, this is the second UK Games Expo I've gone to as part of the research for the book, which probably tells you how long I've been working on it. Is that a warning sign or is that a good sign that I'm working on the book well? I don't know. I honestly don't know at the moment. I, I don't really know. Have I ever, you, I mean, if you've listened to this for a while, I, I think I probably must reach these points of confusion uh, fear and aporia in the uh, uh, as as they say in plot devising circles of of not knowing whether I'm whether I've gone completely mad and the idea that I can ever do this thing as a book or that it was a good idea it sort of looks increasingly unfeasible or whether I you know the fact that I'm doing this is is because it's right and because I'm committed to it and because I've never ever finished a book in a year let alone six months which some people seem to be able to do I mean god I'd love to I'd love to be able to do I'd love I'd love to have stuff pour out of me I'd love to be able to throw myself into something sort of silly and fun that that, you know do you know what Okay, so just in case you've never listened to the show before, just to say, hi, this is a writing ramble episode, which means that uh, I haven't planned what I'm going to talk about. I normally kind of get on to something and uh, sort of cinch it up at the edges into some 
kind of um, baggy sermon that I then title post hoc uh, to, to suggest a coherence. But if you've not listened to a show before, you might like to go back to one of the ones that's a, a little bit more um, focused because here be dragons. I'm going to be talking about whatever. I don't know. Uh, but, it, 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 you know, it, it, it certainly <laughs> rides on a certain amount of goodwill. And um, if you want to get sort of like your info on writing um, in a way that uh, honours your time slightly more fastidiously, then this may not be the best place to start. If you are up for this, then uh, you are most welcome. Strap in or, or, or don't put your seatbelt on as desired. You know, if you want to live life recklessly with no obvious benefit not putting your seatbelt on doesn't really it's not really an expression of liberty except in the sort of most abstract philosophical sense it was this was actually the question I got asked when I did my entrance interviews for Oxford University the first thing I did first don that I spoke to is that what they is that what it's called when you just lecture at are you an Oxford don just by lecturing at Oxford or is don a sort of specific sort of is that like the archbishop of lecturing at oxford university i don't know uh, but i <laughs> i went there and i did my my first interview for doing a an undergraduate course in english literature was having to go up a flights of rickety stairs into some weird attic where there was a guy in shorts and flip-flops who asked me to read a passage from Sherlock Holmes and then comment on it, and then just asked me what I thought about seatbelt laws. He just wanted me to talk about seatbelt laws. Good thing, bad thing. Have I talked about this before on the show? I, I hope not. I, would, I, I hope I haven't got so stuck for content. Um, <laughs> not seatbelt laws about my entrance interviews for Oxford but I and I and I, I was like well and this is the thing it's like I suspect you know it you know given the the passing of time and the wisdom that comes therein I, I imagine that what he was <laughs> it's so dumb like why like clearly it's a test of some kind <laughs> but that, that that seems to be of it like but I think I just kind of went up there and was like, oh, we're just having a... Well, like, I guess I'm chatting to someone. So I, I, I responded to these on these things at face value, right? Rather than going, oh, this is an opportunity for me to show my reasoning skills and debating skills. Right, that's the implication, right? <laughs> Instead, I was just... It's like, what do you think of the seatbelt laws? Right, right. So, you know, I'm not just chatting to a stranger, but I was just like, well... I don't know, like, I think it's good in general that we wear seatbelts. I just had so little to say about it because it just seemed... So I was just like, well, we should... Yeah, you should wear your seatbelt. It's like the most milk toast. But that's the reasonable position, right? I was like, you know, I suppose people can go, sort of go to prison for it. And, I, you know, I if you, if you repeatedly don't wear your seatbelt and you get caught out, um, it doesn't generally impact many other people if you make that choice 
except in the sense that you know you would use up some nhs resources if you got horribly injured a medical worker would be probably you know negatively psychologically impacted by seeing you know you with all your ribs smashed up or horribly mutilated having been in a car crash but it's not like drink driving right so because you know you're not more likely to crash into someone else if you're not wearing a seatbelt so there's a question of individual individual liberty but at the same time i don't really see that it's a huge imposition of the state to make you wear your seatbelt and our introducing that law has demonstrably reduced the number of fatalities and serious injuries in collisions in in road travel so i think it's a moral i think it's i think it's fine i don't think it, it is an overreach of the state if you're driving a massive death machine and the guy just and the guy nod, nodded and that was fine i i suspect you know uh, looking back i think what he wanted me to do was take a sort of like to argue for some like super libertarian thing and go point and go no you must i think he he's looking for quote unquote interesting debaters who take some asinine position but then defend it to the hilt because that's what like oxford debating is all about right you are supposed to it's a very very male form of debate that rather than presenting arguments so we all come to the truth it for mutual edification it's a form of willy jousting the kind of twattish debate that uh, is just part of part of quote-unquote toxic masculinity isn't it instead of us going our going look we are as human beings we want to come to we, we are on this planet together do we love each other like are we allowed to say that okay cool can we have a can we have chats like like grown-up humans where we understand we might disagree but we do it on the basis of mutual respect so we're not we're not saying like oh we mustn't ever you know uh, you know the appearance of agreement and uh, consensus at all costs because it would be very awkward to say actually I don't agree with you on that point but we must set up these ritualized debates I mean this you know it's, it's a form of a game right it's a form of it's turning getting at the truth into a game which is how our legal system functions right like our legal system functions as a form of ritual and game it, it, our legal system when we hear a case if you've ever sat on a jury right like you it's not about well it's ostensibly about getting to the truth but actually we understand there's a, there's a not an understanding a belief that we can't actually 
get to the truth except in this very abstracted, systematised way where we go, okay, so there's going to be one person who only presents evidence arguing that the person is guilty of the crimes that have been put before them and no others. And then there's going to be one side that only argue that they're not or argues for mitigating factors if if there is you know if there is some acceptance of some things having been done right that they're that the or 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 they're going to argue uh, against the validity of the evidence so at least argue towards a position of reasonable doubt now that's a game isn't it like no one's going because you could if you wanted to find out the truth of something everyone could get together why have someone pretending like these people have been hired so there's a me these people have been hired and immediately there's like it, it's a piece of theater because they're going into persona right where one person's going i i when i in one of the trial in the trial i sat in the the defense barrister who was very sort of theatrical and very sort of silly really like quite handsome in the sort of in a way I, I I sort of found myself having a very sort of small crush on him because he was sort of like the er barrister you know like he was almost like a parody of an English condescending barrister in a way I think I I sort of slightly warm to when it's done so theatrically but he was he <laughs> would say he said at one point uh now come come mr jones to one of the prosecution's witnesses which is just he he corrected a guy who worked for a vacuum repair company you know a, a, a working class vacuum repair technician he stepped in to patronizingly correct him on his use of infer to mean imply rather than deduce so the person said and i inferred that our pension had been paid and he was like mr jones that wasn't the person they were he's like you of course Mr. Jones, you mean you felt he had implied that he that the, the pension had been paid? You in, you infer that some what you make an, you infer that someone has done something, and they imply that they've done it. And he kind of said that there was no need to say that, right? There was no need to. That wasn't a, a, a clarification that we needed. It was just for him to shame that person. But like, so so anyway. That's that. I I got onto this because I was talking about the gamification of things like Oxford interviews and how it goes through our whole society. And I guess that's why I'm writing this book, right? Is I just find these things really interesting and how games and social games and they they're sort of riven through everything we do and we don't notice them. And I'd love to write about it. Anyway, I didn't go to Oxford in the end as I may have mentioned before I did get accepted uh, not by that college that the guy was giving me that interview for but by another one who asked to see me and I went there 
and by contrast to this one you know set of interviews where they'd been incredibly i don't know like just weirdly smug they were incredibly sycophantic and it made me feel like maybe they hadn't had many good candidates that year because every time i gave an answer to like looking at a poem or whatever the guy would go yes very shrewd very shrewd which <laughs> which just it wasn't it was never very shrewd my i've never had anyone react like that to any oh my gosh anyway i i, I digress but that's where i've been at the uk games expo I think I'm not at a creative nadir at the moment. Although to have to classic clarify that, I think, is telling. But I definitely feel like I'm in a little bit of a slump at the moment. I'm not super depressed or anything like that. Like, I've definitely recorded episodes of this where Timmy C is definitely struggling. Definitely. has <laughs> definitely had less a feel of a professionally produced pod i mean it's never had the feel of a professionally produced podcast it's me in a room the size of a service elevator surrounded by junk honestly this room looks more and more like a room that is used by someone who is not terribly well um and but i'm doing fine you know i'm actually doing fine it's been a rough year as i've sort of alluded to before and, um, you know, we're doing a bit of counselling. Me and my wife sort of as part of the fallout from that. Um, and I'm glad we, we are because it's been helpful. I think having spaces to be able to talk about difficult things and to remind yourself that you've been through them you know, so many people talk to me about, oh, I don't find it really difficult to write or whatever. Uh, or I'm so lazy or whatever. They they talk about these things. And I, I just... You are having to write your book while also being alive. While also being a human existing in the world. And the world has always been tricky. And in many ways, our lives are rarefied and blessed. We all live or at least most of us, live in the kind of comfort and luxury that was unavailable to emperors and sovereigns and queens and kings for millennia. You know, that's, I think that's, that is uncontroversial to say. And many day-to-day -day tasks are... You know, they're handled by machines for us now. So there's lots about the world that is better than it has ever been and less stressful than it has ever been. But we are still humans existing in, in this world, right? We are still people who get sick and die and have people around us get sick and age and die. And there are wars and there are plagues. These are literal things that are happening around us um, or to us in some cases. And we're also people who live and love and have 
relationships and jobs and these things are sources of stress and disappointment and heartbreak and we're also people with brains and bodies that break down or are oddly calibrated and, and people talk, talk we, we sort of we a lot of what is talked about when we talk about writing just doesn't take into account that you are essentially making a cake a three-tier victoria sponge with cream and jam and all the trimmings while balancing on the roof of a trans-siberian train that is rattling over mountain viaducts during a snowstorm while you're shot at by mountain nomad snipers <laughs> and then you go oh i just I, I feel like i'm losing my passion for cake making today and it's like yeah like a bullet just took off your left hand at the wrist <laughs> like your knees are frozen to the roof of the train and you're going why am i a shit cake maker compared to oh yeah by the way and the audience for this cake are just like a bunch of arbitrary twats who may at any point go i don't like that today i want a cake exactly the same as the last 12 or unaccountably will reject a cake identical to the last 12 for no reason whatsoever and will like a cake that has an entire wasp's nest stuffed into the center of it it's really original i really like it it's like it's buzzing it buzzes it makes my mouth tingle when i eat it this horrible crunchy paper center it's just it's the weirdest shit that we do uh, and i, I talked about this yesterday but like i've I'm found myself in a position where like i i've had like less than 75 quid left of my overdraft this week like uh i've not been able to pay for basic things including like my my mortgage i'm at it's been really stressful not because i've run out of actual money that i'm owed i'm owed thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds um just because various organizations and companies have declined to pay pay me on time because they can because they can choose to do that some and they just sometimes do if you write, if you're a freelancer, whatever, places can just sometimes do that. <laughs> and it's tough shit because you don't have anywhere else to go to to get that money unless you want to start pursuing them through small claims or something like that. Um, and to be honest, I found that quite demoralising. It's rough as a writer... It takes a it, it takes quite a lot out of me at least to be able to take the risks I do. Like I don't write about stuff that I don't care about. And it's hard. Like it it scooped quite a lot out of me to write 
this book that just came out uh, came out last month coward my non-fiction book about anxiety I gave everything I could to that book and I, I've, I've done that with my fiction as well but you know something that is showing myself you just do your best you know and there's a danger when you do that that you several things happen all at once and one of them is that you feel like the you're not just being judged on your professional skill but also it's a referendum on you personally which as you'll know if you've listened to this show for any amount of time I think is a really 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 bad way to handle yourself if you're a writer it's just it's going to end in disaster because there can be payoffs right like if your book does really well if you do a piece of creative writing and you say this is me and you just you just smooth you just elide some of the boundaries between the creative work and you the human being so they're a little bit they're a little bit the same maybe it's, maybe this is actually me then if people like it if people accept it they like you they accept you Oh, oh, I feel connected. I feel part of a community. I feel at home. That's a good feeling. It's a good feeling. But now the stakes you're playing for are existential. Whereas they're not if it, if you are putting out some stuff. Now, it, I mean, like, look, even if you are completely sort of neutral on what you put out, you know, this is just product. You, there's still stakes because there, there are financial stakes, there are commercial stakes. Like, if nobody likes your work, you're essentially a small business owner all the time for your whole life, mediated by various partners and shifting market conditions with a, a small number of gatekeepers largely deciding your fate you know like do the do the book buyers at well like now in the UK there's like one big bookstore chain that's it like there's Waterstones is mostly the only game in town there's a few foils Blackwells has now been bought by I mean there was only a couple of Blackwells to begin with but that's been bought by Waterstones. So we've really got indie bookshops who are all sort of like a series of they make their own decisions on that. And then there's Amazon and Waterstones. That's it. So your fate's largely going to be decide. You know, if if they if they decide they don't want to buy many copies of your book, they don't want to put it on shelves. They don't want to support it. It's just tough. It's it's tough shit. Like you can't do anything about that. You can't. If if it starts selling through other means, they probably will. But your entire life, professionally, is beholden to like two 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 people, which I guess is true of like anyone working like in where they've got a, a boss. Um, I guess that's true, but I, it's it's a very it's a very weird transition, right? To go from 
how can I make this chapter better? To like, oh, it doesn't fucking matter because no one's read because because the uh, book buyer had won't read it. Like like a lot of those sort of it can, it's it's a tough thing to like go. How can I make this book good? While go, while having in the back of your mind the entirely rational knowledge, and some people can just go, I don't like the cover. Fuck you. I don't I don't like the subject you've written. I'm not interested. And I'm not saying like readers doing that. Like obviously that is how people filter stuff all the time. But it's just like a few gatekeepers, either editors who are going to buy the book or an agent or, you know, buyers from the couple of places that buy books now. They decide that. But there are certain types of books for which there's just no real market for them as self-pubbed things like people go well you know why don't people sort of say oh people you should self-publish it if no one's interested well self-publishing works really well for some like very commercial genres and a couple of like a couple of indie genres as well i think like uh a couple of sort of like if you're writing say source books for role-playing games and you've got like a really cool world for your role-playing game and you're able to really like partner with some incredibly talented artists and you do a good job as well and then it just lands in the right place and it's what the market wants I think you're probably you, you know sometimes that can be if you've already got a platform sometimes that can be a good way of getting work out there in a way that commercial publishing just commercial publishers wouldn't have a fucking clue what to do with something like that and then if you're writing like crime fiction or romance or maybe certain forms of like space opera or military sci-fi things like that or like very broad sword and sorcery fantasy or there are some or some genres that have like got very sort of tech more tech savvy kind of people maybe uh self-publishing can be a, a way to find like big audiences or you know sustainable audiences I, I i i do think if you're if most of your sales are coming through amazon kindle kind of ebook sales then it is like you have built you know, like a very profitable franchise of Burger King on top, top of a, an active volcano. Like at any stage, the franchisee, the light, you know, the license holder, the franchisee can just pull that, change the terms that you are, fran that you are like, that you are operating a Burger King there. And also at any stage, the volcano can go off and your whole business model is destroyed. Like, Amazon really don't give a shit about you. They want to make money, that is it. But if there's any way they can tweak the terms to be more favourable to them, they will absolutely always do that. Uh, which is why the platform itself is getting less and less user-friendly, because they can sell ad adverts on it. So it means that the search engine gets increasingly worse. That Selling adverts for books, so there's promoted content... I don't, I'm as a end user, I don't want you to show me 
stuff that people on the basis of people have paid for me to see it i want to see stuff that most closely fits what i want to find and that uses my likes to match my my wants i want it to use the algorithm to suggest stuff i'm likely to like and and amazon have gradually been trying to make that worse and worse so they can squeeze more money out of it now there that's what capitalism is right that's what having a a monopoly in an area is that's what it does but if you self-publish it's not an escape from normal publishing really there may be ways in which it's better you know i i still i'm sort of so amazed when i've done podcasting but particularly when i've done the the course the couch to 80k writing boot camp and the 100 day writing course they're really the most successful thing i've ever done and they were just i was like this is free it can be distributed anywhere and if you like it why not drop me a few beans via my coffee page and you're not going to get anything for doing that except my my genuine gratitude but i'm giving you the stuff up front and then if you liked it and you feel able to you know drop me something once you've finished that's it right like or you know buy my books or something like that and i was just amazed at how successful that was as a model it was really it's i i think anyone would have told me that was not a viable way to make content and maybe there wouldn't be a demand for it and i would have probably agreed with them right but it worked really well so i think there are sometimes really surprising and lean ways of skipping traditional ways of how things are done that can be really 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 that can work really well i don't doubt that and it does make it i tell you what it does make you think though when you spend like two years working on a book and then you even you know successful sales of a book you know relatively successful sales of a book compared to the kind of audience you know people might get with a podcast or a you a couple of youtube a series of youtube videos and you kind of go where's my time best spent especially because it's been it it takes me so long to write and so much emotional energy and you just one i just you just wonder i wonder sometimes i'm like is this worth getting to people is it reaching people does it reach people Am I working in a medium that reaches people? Or am I sort of... I don't want to say wasting my time, but... I don't know. That sounds bleak, doesn't it? Am I wasting my time? I I just I haven't got any professional advice for anyone listening for you. I haven't I I just don't have it. That's why I have other authors on. 
who feel qualified to do that. I just know, dear God, I care about these subjects that I want to write about. Like, I want to write this book about games. But it's also a little bit about me getting my assessment about, you know, have it being autistic and it's also about how humans relate to each other and connect and why I love games but what they tell us about being alive and being human and 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 maybe the reason I get so lost in books when I write them and they feel so all-consuming is is, is because it's because it's partly mediated by autism, you know, that what they call monotropism as a model for autism. The desire to be completely immersed in one subject and find out everything about it and relate everything to it. And, and to me, it's a bit like. glimpsing infinity in a grain of sand right that actually when you go deep into something you end up going wide because everything is connected to everything else just like really you can't spend too long in genetics before you bleed into biology and immunobiology and neuroscience because genes are going to inflect how a brain develops and then it and then you're talking about like neonatal development and then of course if you're seeing how somebody develops and you're talking about neuroscience then you're into psychology if you're into psychology you have to be going into sociology then because psychology is just people don't exist in isolations then we're seeing how do they act in groups and then suddenly genetics and you're looking you're supposedly doing this hard science of uh you know gene transcription and alleles and things like that and uh, but then all at once sorry you know you're doing the social sciences because you're asking people how do you, how have you felt what's your mood been like in the last two weeks give me a rating at a seven and you're doing a soft science suddenly Ah, uh, and then you can't really get into psychology and sociology without studying phil without getting into philosophy, right? Like, what can these people know? Like, to what extent are the behavioural outputs that we see in someone filling in a a form, you know, responding to a questionnaire? That's a behavioural output, sure, but like, actually, how well are people able to reflect on their own experience? How much is that inflected by uh, like a, a country's culture and politics well now if we get into politics we're into history and you can't get into history without really looking at things like ge geography like where and and and, and how um populations spread and suddenly from genetics we're everywhere right and and the same goes for games you just cannot do games about history psychology uh without some assumptions about maybe evolution, right? Like uh, there's certainly, I, I know EvoPsych is like the most maligned field at the moment, but we're, we're, at some level we're making some evolutionary claim when we talk about like why do people play 
games what do we what is it to be alive i feel like every subject that i care about ends up coming back to what is it to be alive but i can be a bit sensitive about these things because like i want to talk about them and i've you know i've said this in previous episodes and i think i'm gonna go here again and i feel like a bit of a prat but like there's a reason why i record these monologues And it's because I spend a lot of my life feeling like I monologue at people. Oh, I bore the living crap out of them. And 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 when I do this and I talk to you, I don't have to watch to see if you're losing interest. I don't have to worry, am I, being, am I rambling? Am I reining it in? And I'm not alone in this because I've said this before, but you listen to any of... I've recorded nearly 100 hours of interviews with people on this podcast. And I challenge you to listen to to you know listen to three or four of them and i bet you most of the people you listen to at some point when they're talking to me say sorry i feel like i went off the point there or they uh, apologize and rein it in for having talked too much or having bored someone like this constant feeling this constant worry that we're boring people or that we've lost them or that we've been self-indulgent or like oh my goodness I continually feel that everything I care about is... I don't continually feel that, that's not fair, but I often feel like everything I care about and the things that drive me and get me excited and the reason that I'm on this earth to put, to put these things out is, is boring and stupid and not in sync with the rest of humanity, you know? It means so much when... A reader or a listener or just somebody connects with something I've done. When I was on tour, somebody gave me a piece of art based on a scene from The Honours, my first novel. And I got to see on paper their interpretation of something that hitherto had only existed in my head. And that meant a lot because I felt... I'd connected with another human being and given them something that they cared about for that moment. And I've had a few messages about Coward since it's been out from people who've read it, who've talked about it or some aspect of it connecting with them. And that means an awful lot, you know. I I can't make my stuff magically sort of have this appeal that finds people and connects with them. I can't, I don't know what to do, you know, sometimes I just don't know what to do. I, I, I feel so vulnerable doing what I do. It's really silly, but I just, I feel I want to make, my stuff good and I but I, I it has to come from my heart and so it still does and I think I'm in a regathering stage at the moment you know I think I'm in a stage of I've talked about this before but this question you know why am I doing this 
What's the point? It's a really good question. I don't think it's depressing at all. What's the point? Okay, should we look and see? Because either we find there's no point, in which case, great, we've got information we should stop. Or we go, ah, this is why I care. And do you know why I care? Because I fucking love people. I love... I, love, I went and played games all weekend and I met some of the most interesting people in the world. I, the interviews I've done for this latest book have made me so happy and so excited and I just speak to people and like my, my scalp tingles and my brain feels like someone's put like Alka-Seltzers into my brain. Um, I love people so much. There's this idea that like if you're autistic, you don't care about other people and you're kind of fascinated with sort of twiddling with your own navel or kind of like, mm, I'm going to... I'm going to do maths. My friends are numbers. Well, I, I sometimes that's my way of connecting with other people. But maths was created by human beings. It doesn't exist in the world. It's it's an abstract model for explaining various phenomena. Like the, even the number one is like conceptual. Like our boundaries between this is the object, this is not the object are entirely sort of like philosophically constructed. And then as soon as you get into irrational numbers... So you're into your minus ones and your like square root of minus three, like those things can have practical applications. You know, if you're a mason or something like that, but they you can't see them in the real world, and that's quite exciting. But these are you're talking with other people who like maths. Um, you're still connecting with human beings. These things are still built on this great collaboration of minds and people working with you. It's not. It's not that you don't love people and I love listen I love listening to people talking about what they care about. And because it connects with things I've been thinking about. And I want to make this book so good. And I and I can't guarantee that anyone's gonna like a publisher's gonna want to buy it. I can't guarantee I'll do it a good job. I can't guarantee that any human being will care. Like I, I feel like more than anything else, this book I want to work on about games. That people nod and they smile politely, but like they don't feel like I do about this. And it can be very lonely. And I bet you felt like that. God, if you want to write a book and it's about, I don't know, like Pegasus Riders. And you've got this world that you've made up of like gigantic glass towers that, that push through layers of cloud on this planet that almost has like a, a, a you know like a jupiter star layer of gas and things floating in the sky you might feel like a right dickhead when you go to work and then a colleague says what you've been up to and you don't want to say i've been writing this book and planning out the history of this place you feel like a right pillock why would anybody care about what you care about so much it's a very lonely thing To be the only person watching the boxed set that is in your mind. And it doesn't necessarily end in a big validating parade. Sometimes it ends with that part of my life is now over and it's on to the next thing. And I don't know what to tell you about that. Except that if you want to do it, 
and you want to explore those things, one, try to be really kind to yourself and encourage yourself and love yourself as you do it. When I say be kind to yourself, I'm, let's talk about how to do that practically. Encourage yourself. Give Well done. You can say it to yourself. You can say it to yourself in your mind. Well done for doing this. Good job. That's cool. This was acknowledged. This was not easy for me. And yet I did it. So many people will not turn up. So many people protect themselves by not starting. I didn't. That's pretty incredible. So first of all, well done for ever, for ever sitting down and writing a word. Well done for risking looking silly. Well done. Secondly, try and enjoy the process. Find ways of making the process as enjoyable, as rewarding as possible. Connect with other writers. Say, I'm finding this difficult. I'd like a buddy. Let's set up a Discord. Right, fuck it. I'm going to definitely do this now. I will set up a Death of a Thousand Cuts Discord server. Even if there's just three of us on there, it'd be weird. Um, and, and, and we can, you know, we can find ways of partnering people with other people who want to write. Uh, who can you can be accountability buddies and encouragement buddies, right? And I can go on there and we can just we can just have a nice little creative writing community. I will I will set something up and I will start posting links to it on my Twitter and uh, I will mention where they are in future episodes and I'll put links in show notes for future episodes. Okay, let's do that. That's like a nice simple thing. Maybe it's not. Maybe having a Discord community is is hell. But I, I suspect, you know, it'll be it'll be, it'll be of a manageable size for us, right? And we can, you know, send messages. If you're not on Discord, you can look up what it is and see how it works. But it's just basically a way where people can uh, have, like, little mini ways of messaging each other. And it does support video and audio chat as well. But I think it would be mostly just messaging, ways of messaging each other, okay? So that's another thing we can do. But, like... You know, seek community support, basically, because you don't have to do this on your own and you'd be much more likely to succeed if you if you don't. But success is defined by you finding ways to do this in a way that sustains you and that you enjoy. You don't have to hit any career milestone because that's silly. And and ultimately not fulfilling. And then, so, you know, you're going to love and forgive yourself. You can, we're, we're going to find ways of enjoying the process. And then reconnect with why you care about it, you know. I care about games because I care about humans. I care about connection and community. And I want to find my place in this great story we're telling of being alive. And games are like my one uh, one way of me locate, my locating myself in that. Despite having for a lot of my life felt weird and out of place. And I want to tell the story of that. And I want to tell the hidden story of games. And how they can bring us together and how 
they can be like a secret language and a way of saying hello for some of us for whom the conventional means of doing so have not been so easy. And finally, I want to say that I, I, I see you. And if it's hard and if the things you want to write about don't always seem like they add up to very much, like... The world is full of quite a lot of dickheads with poor taste. And what you want to do matters. And, and, and like, just fuck them, basically do your thing for you not because you want to be validated by the approval of people who if they were worth if they if they were worth if they were worthy of you would have already found you and would be supporting you through stuff you don't owe them anything and there's no high council of judges out there who get to arbitrate on your position within human society and the value of your work the industry that you may or may not at some point intersect with is largely a pachinko machine of pure bollocks. Look at who at any, any given time is in positions of power in our society. Look who has money. Do you think it's a meritocracy? No, of course it's fucking not. That doesn't mean that you'll... <laughs> that doesn't mean, however that there is a conspiracy to keep you down and your thing is actually brilliant because I will say as soon as I've ever said this several people with some quite shit books have said yeah and that's why I'm not best selling no not necessarily I'm afraid your work may still be shit um I'm just saying that if you're not finding an audience uh that is not a sufficient condition to show that it's shit but also those people whose work they don't like i mean there's best-selling books that i don't think very much of and i don't like and that doesn't necessarily mean that they don't have a home somewhere with people who will love them i just i'm just saying good work takes time what matters is that you ultimately produce something you can be proud of and that's why we need each other so we can be creating stuff with integrity and we can be lifting each other up. And I hope on this show that I can have other authors on who create good shit. And I can say to you, them, tell me about what you do. And then I can say to you, hey, check their stuff out. And I hope that you'll support them. Because that way I can be making small, positive contributions to the world. It makes me so happy when I see people post online saying, I heard tim talking to this author and now i've read their books and i really like their stuff and i think oh wow i helped connect a brain with another brain 
and now you're having their hallucination how chill is that so those are my thoughts and that's where i am today i just want to say onwards let's fucking do it let's change the world eh should we do it should we do it let's just fucking let's make the craziest shit that they don't want but that we care about because now we're the grown-ups right we get to decide what kind of books we make and it doesn't have to be the books that other people say that we should be making we don't have to just repeat the lesson of the teacher back to them let's kill our sensei in a duel with a fucking axe kick to the head and send it flying off and let's make crazy fucking books that the industry doesn't know what to do with that they don't know which way to open them wouldn't that be a thing if you like today's episode and you'd like to read something by me, my book Coward, Why We Get Anxious and What We Can Do About It, is out now from Canon Gay Books. You can get it in most good bookshops and some disreputable ones as well. You can also get it online from most of the usual retailers. It's also available in ebook and in audiobook, narrated by me, because it would be weird to have a classically trained actor. Talking about being Tim Clare in the first person, that would be odd. Uh, but I'll put links to the ebook and the audiobook in the show notes, and I'll also put links to my bookshop page where you can get any of my books, including that, and that supports indie bookshops around the UK, which is super good. And I don't, that wasn't an act, that was no accent, by the way, in case that sounded like a hate crime. I've got no idea what group it would be a hate crime against, but it, I, I just did an intake of breath and did a high-pitched voice but it wasn't aimed at any one group and i hope it was vague enough that you couldn't be construed as such um and finally if you enjoy the show and you want to help me keep the lights on i've just had to pay for hosting on soundcloud for the next year and i have to pay for my website etc etc you can go into my coffee page again that is link is in the show notes but it's ko-fi.com forward slash tim claire drop me a few beans i super appreciate it and it will allow me to keep doing the show i would love to keep the get the schedule a bit better and to that end today i'm going to be sending off simply emails to try and get authors onto the show so i can speak to them about their books and what those books mean to them because i really 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 love speaking to people who aren't me about writing okay i think i'm done i think we're done here thank you for listening to me listening to listening to me that is a word oh my brain's broken i thought listening to me Thank you for listening to me. I wanted to put an extra two there. I want to say thank you for listening to to me. I think my brain may be pouring out my ears. I've got to stop now while um, while I can still walk and, and maybe call uh, the NHS non-emergency helpline and say what happens when words can't make good. But for you, please take care of yourself. I've really enjoyed speaking to you today. Thank you for indulging me. It's very sweet of you and I hope you have a wonderful week of writing.